With your congregation, dear friends, I would ask you now to please direct your very prayerful attention to that passage that I read to you in your hearing, that first portion of God's holy word there in the book of Micah and the sixth chapter. And this morning, with the Lord's gracious enabling, I wish to take for my text the words found in the verse 8. But I read, first of all, the question that is put before it in the verse 7. So I'll read verse 7 and the verse 8. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Micah chapter 6 and the verse 8. These words we take for our text. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. With the Lord's help this morning, we shall seek to open up these three things that the Lord desires of his people of course the lord desires this of all men it is true every man is made in the image of god written with the law of god upon his heart romans 2 14 and 15 and the law of god tells us what is right every man is made in the image of god and yet man even in the womb is a sinner and he comes forth speaking lies and denies his god He is strayed from his creator. And man is made, is he not, to glorify God in this world. And yet now, many of us, we can say we are new creations in Jesus Christ. We are born again, born of the spirit of almighty God. We have come to know him and to love him through the acceptance that is through his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has made reconciliation for us. He reconciled himself to his people by the life and by the death of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is styled as the Lord, our righteousness. It is really through the Lord's mercy, that mercy, that day spring from on high that God has brought us to know him. What does the Lord desire? To do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Does the Lord Jesus Christ not remind the religious leaders of his day that the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice? Many of the Jews, you notice in verse 7, and even in this time, some were offering deficient and defunct sacrifices. This was even true in the Lord's day. Remember when he he had to drive out all the money changers that were in the temple. And did he not say, is not my father's house to be a house of prayer? And uh, many, the religious leaders of his day, they were tithing to the nth degree, weren't they? But they neglected the weightier matters of the law. And one of them was justice and mercy. Now it's only the heart, my friends, that is changed by regeneration. That mighty, insuperable work of Almighty God in giving a new heart. It is only the heart that is changed by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that is humbled in mercy and that will begin to love mercy and that will begin to love justice 
and that we'll begin to walk humbly. Until then, man cannot perform what is required in the verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. We could say he requires it of all men. All men should repent. Because to not repent is sin against God. What is repentance? It's turning, isn't it, from sin to serve the living God. What does the Lord require? Well, many things. We see at least three things here. Now, I want to just bring our minds here upon the scene. Here, these are dark days. If you just turn to chapter 1, these are the days when uh, Israel is about to fall forever and become the ten lost tribes of Israel. They, in the days of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, the nation was split, was it not? Judah in the south with Benjamin, and then you had Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the commander of Solomon's army. He and the people in the north rebelled. Now this word comes, as I said, just before the fall of Israel in the north. Notice the words. The word of the Lord, chapter 1, verse 1, that came to Micah, the Moreshite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, Samaria was the capital of Israel in the north, Jerusalem the capital of Judah in the south. And there are mentioned the kings of Judah. Right at the end here, we think of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king in Judah. And at that very same time, Hezekiah was king. You had Hoshea in the north, who was going to be the very last king of Israel. They would never have a king again. They would cease to be a nation. What would happen to Israel? We know from 2 Kings 18 that what happened to Israel, God had warned them because they perpetuated in that sin of Jeroboam, that golden calf worship and other abominations, that God would send that nation into what? Not captivity, but they would be completely overthrown. We know that in the days of Hoshea, in the days of these three kings, here and latter, Hezekiah, what happened? God raised up the Assyrian army. And what happened? The king of Assyria came and he took the king of Israel. And put him in a prison, didn't he? And then, that wasn't the end of it. Well, he brought foreigners in. He besieged Samaria. And he deported many, many, many Israelites into the Assyrian Empire. Into foreign cities. Many of the people were deported and he brought foreigners in. So that the complete landscape of Israel in the north changed forever. Never had a king again. Never became another nation didn't become the United Kingdom, didn't become Europe, but they ceased to be a people. So that when we come to the days of the Lord Jesus Christ and he meets the woman of Sychar, what happened then? Those people didn't know the Lord. They were far from God. And he said, ye worship that which ye know not. Well, these are the days of darkness when God is going to finally judge Israel in the north. They wouldn't listen. And these are warnings. And then most of Micah's ministry, he will minister after now this to Judah in the south. And he is warning Judah as well that God will come 
and he will chasten the nation. And we know what will happen in 586 BC. In 586 BC, and the prophecy is fulfilled. Later on, he will lead Judah into captivity, into Babylon for 70 years. But the Lord does love mercy. We're reminded here. Look at verse 8. What does the Lord require of his people? To love mercy. Well, the Lord is a merciful God, is he not? If you look at chapter 7, verse 18, and here this is interesting, the name Micah is uh, a name that really means who is like unto God? Who is like Jehovah? It's an abbreviated form of Micaiah. Look at verse 18 of chapter 7. Who is like unto thee? This is the great theme, is it not, of the book of Micah? Who is like God? Who is like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? The Lord, my friends, let me say, passes by the sins of his heritage. God has a people, a people that he will save, his inheritance. They are sinners like the rest. But notice, and passeth by the transgression or the sin of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Who is like the Lord who delights in mercy? Now let me say this. Yet in mercy, when God saves us, he still demands something. When God saves us, he doesn't simply save us to go to heaven, my friends. But he saves us to change us, to make us like him. That is why God has saved us. There's some people that get this idea that simply God saves you to to go to heaven. But that's not life. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He saves you, my friend, to an actual changed life. Whoever is in Christ is a new creature. Salvation, it's from sin so that we walk with God. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. Look at verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy. Now notice, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now let me go back to what I said earlier. Every man is made in the image of God. A man is made to glorify God. We would say that, wouldn't we? It's that catechism question. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God. Yet man is estranged from God. We know that God has put his law in the hearts of men. But that law is upon the hearts of stone. We read, do we not, in Romans 2.14, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, that's the written law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Well, the Gentile, the unbeliever knows it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to commit adultery. And Paul even says, their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. My friends, God has written his law upon the hearts of every man. But when a man is born again, he gives a new heart, a heart of flesh to glorify God. Now granted, here in the days of Micah, many in Judah and Israel were not saved. But men were claiming safety, safety in the Lord. They were saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. I remind you in 2 Kings 18, 
that Hezekiah, what did he do? He proclaimed, and this is, by the way, just before Israel in the north were going to fall. And he called, he sent a word out. If, if you just turn to Second uh, Chronicles 28, it says there concerning Ahaz, first of all, we read here, we read here in Micah of Ahaz, that he was a wicked king. Ahaz, he sent his children into the fire. It says therein, Second Chronicles 28, 1, Ahaz, who was, by the way, king of Judah, was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Baalim. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire. These are dark, desperate days we see therein. Here, Micah, chapter 1, verse 1, we read of Ahaz, king of Judah. And then we think now of this terrible time. These were dark days. In Second Chronicles 30, we read how Hezekiah, he sent letters throughout Judah and throughout Israel to keep the Passover. And we read there that the Passover had not been kept for many years. It says there, Second Chronicles 30 verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover. Now we know three times a year that the men of Israel and Judah were meant to go to that one central place and to offer up sacrifice. But we notice, you come down to the verse 6 and the verse 7, notice the end of there, verse 6, what happened this is a warning, and God is about to bring judgment upon Israel in the north. Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you. There was already sieges being laid upon them by the Assyrians. Many of them already started to be taken out and, and practically laid siege of that city. As I said, many would be deported, and eventually foreigners would be brought in. And this was already happening. And here they are saying, the prophet says, if you do this, look at verse 6 there. He says, ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And he will return the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. He said, keep the Passover, honor God, do what is right. But what happens? Look at verse 10. So the posts, that's the couriers and messengers passed from city to city, through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, and so on, even unto Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. And what happened? God judged that nation. They wouldn't obey. They didn't walk humbly. But there was a remnant who obeyed the Lord. At that very time, God raised up Hezekiah in Judah. And Hezekiah, he saw a mighty deliverance of the Lord. Remember how 185,000 the Syrians were slain in one night. How God came and uh, the angel of death passed over and the enemy were completely defeated and sent away humiliated. Well, he had honored God. And this is the key, isn't it? We must honor God. God, come back to chapter 6 here. What are we told? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Yes, he is interested in sacrifice, but that is not the heart of the matter, my friends. We must render to the Lord what he has requested. But what ultimately 
It's not just the giving of these things that the Lord requires, but the heart to walk humbly, to do justly, and to walk humbly with our God, to love mercy. I want to think here this morning very briefly what the Lord requires. Three things, and we'll see it in this order. I want us to see, first of all, I want to take the last first, to walk humbly, verse 8, with thy God. Micah chapter 6 and the verse 8. What does it require? Firstly, to walk humbly. And then we're going to see to do justly. And then to love mercy. And then I want to come back again and consider this to walk humbly. To walk humbly. Not just to walk with God. But to walk humbly with him. Now, we know from the scriptures. There are a number of examples of men who walked with the Lord. We think of Enoch. Is a great example, isn't he? How Enoch walked with God. In Genesis 5, 22, we have it. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. 300 years. My, that's a long time. To walk with the Lord. And he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. One day he was, and then the next day he was not. They couldn't find him. His body, soul, translated, taken up. But we have his epitaph, don't we, in Hebrews chapter 11. The great chapter of the hall of those who lived and died by faith. And it says here, we have this wonderful testimony concerning Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He didn't see death and was not found. They couldn't find him because God hath translated him. For before his translation, we read this, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That, as it were, could be said, he pleased God. He walked with God. And I'm talking here about a a true walk with the Lord that I want us to think about here this morning. He walked humbly in days of great evil. And this is really what the Lord is calling here in the book of Micah, to walk humbly. Then we have, also we have Noah, don't we? In Genesis 6, 9, we have these words, Noah walked with God. And those were great days of evil, weren't they? We read of the violence and the wickedness all over the earth in the days of Noah. And how God said it grieved his heart that he had made man. Now there are a number of things, let me say, and I want us to think about this morning. That must be, if we are to walk humbly with our God, they must be in the life. The first is this, the new birth. Regeneration. A man who is dead in trespasses and sins cannot walk with God. He must be made alive, spiritually. A spiritually dead soul cannot know God, let alone walk with God. The Puritan Thomas Boston illustrated this by pointing us to Lazarus. Lazarus, and here in a physical sense, in order to hear Christ, when the Son of God spoke, there had to be, as it were, life in him. I know in, in the physical sense. He had to first be brought to life. You see... A spiritually dead soul cannot exercise faith. Faith comes after regeneration. We know this 
1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. A man must, first of all, Nicodemus, be born again. This is a doctrine, my friend, that is sadly being neglected in our churches today. Churches that would call themselves reformed. And they say, well, you can have faith and then be born again. In fact, Billy Graham wrote a book, How to Be Born Again. I can't think of anything more ludicrous and anything more erroneous. A man must be born again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, John says, is born of him. This is why the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law. Remember what he said, you being a teacher of the law, don't you know this? It's that word, born from above. We read also, don't we, in John chapter 1. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Now listen, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The being born is antecedent to believing. Secondly, what is important? If we are to walk with God and to walk humbly with God, we must have the spirit of God. David had the Holy Spirit. And when David sinned, did he not say in Psalm 51 verse 11, when he had sinned that great sin against the Lord, he knew he had grieved the Holy Spirit by which he was indwelt with. We read, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Some people teach that the saints of old are somehow cut out of a different bit of cloth, but not so. A man must be born again. David had the Holy Spirit. If a man is dead in trespasses and sins, unless a man is born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he is not of the Lord's. The Lord tells us this, does he not, in Romans 8, 9, whosoever hath not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. His teachings are so clear. The Lord puts his Spirit in someone. Now that does not excuse a man to walk in sin. Say, well, God has not regenerated me. God has not saved me. I cannot be responsible for my sin. A man is responsible for his sin. He has the law of God. Written in, though even on a heart of stone. But God's promise is. It's found there in Ezekiel 36. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. It's humbling. You know, you teach salvation, truly it's a very humbling thing to a man. Unless God saves him, he's lost. Paul says, does he not, of God's people, that they walk after the Spirit. Romans 8, 1, we told, There is thou therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. And all the modern translations, by the way, stop there. The remainder of the verse is missing. Paul is describing two things. He's talking about justification by faith in Christ. And then he says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The ESV, all the modern translations, they don't have it. They're based on a corrupt manuscript. Paul is teaching us there. What is a Christian? He's been given faith. And where there's faith, there is the spirit of God. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And one of the proofs... That we, we can know. It's very logical. If you, you, you read on there in Romans 8. Have a look there. Romans 8. Paul. He goes on to speak of the life 
of the Christian who has faith. What does he say? He says then, for the Lord, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. You see, we know he's talking about the spirit. And uh, what does he say? Those who are the sons of God, even in this chapter, are led by the spirit. Something else. If a man is to walk with God, that gift of faith, as I said, is necessary. If we're to, we walk not by sight, but by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Faith in his word. Faith in all that he has promised. But let me say this. Faith must be examined. Because you can have a, a notion, you can have a knowledge of truth. But where you have a knowledge and there's no love, there's a problem. Because true saving faith is always accompanied by love. The breastplate of righteousness, faith and love. These two twin graces, they come together. When a man is truly humbled by the fact that God has shown him that he is lost and that the Father gave the Son, we love him because he first loved us. A knowledge, an apprehension of ourselves and the loveliness and the wonder of Christ, my friends. We are told, are we not, in Galatians, that faith worketh by love. True faith. If there is a saving faith, there will be a love. I say, even the devils believe. James 2, 19. Thou believest, says James, there is one God. Thou doest well. And James says, the devils also believe and tremble. The devils do. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You see, the works are done because a heart is made thankful. The heart wants to repay God for the love, for the debt of love that has brought me to Christ. In one living for me and then one dying for me. You see, if you have a true knowledge of Christ, you love him. You really love him. You don't love him as you ought. But you want to love him more. And you want to repay that debt of love that you and I owe. If we say we're children of God. Paul says this. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything. Nor uncircumcision. And then he says. But faith which worketh by love. He says that kind of faith. Where there is a real love. You know that even if you do something for somebody, it's because you know God has made you to differ. He's put a new spirit in your heart. You're thankful and you, you want to do good to all men, especially the household of faith, because God has put you into his family. The family of the redeemed. I say this, a faith or knowledge that has not love is mere formalism. Christian's not a formal person in that sense. A dry, a dreary faith. But where there is true faith and where there's going to be a walk, there's peace and there's joy. Those gifts go together, don't they? Love, hope, peace, joy, all in Christ. Something else, fourthly. To walk with God, there must be a heartfelt conviction and agreement with the truth. A heartfelt conviction and an agreement with the truth. There are many people, you, you, you've heard of talkative in Pilgrim's Progress. He could talk till the cows came home, as it were. Talk and talk. But he knew nothing of 
really a change. He, he, he knew doctrine in his head, but not in his heart. He was not someone who, who really felt convicted by it. You see, when we, we come to a knowledge of the truth, it humbles us. And we say, I will walk with God and I will not depart from the truth because the truth is everything to me. Now, there are many people, we would say, are Calvinists. And there are others who are convinced and convicted Calvinists. There's a difference. You could be one in the head, but not one in the heart. Not one that is truly changed by it. We're told in Amos 3.3, God says, can two walk together except they be agreed? You've got to be in full agreement with God's word. When God's word comes to us, we don't kick against it. We say, Lord, I accept everything that thou says here about me and about the world and about thyself. You have to be in full agreement. There are those who receive the word in the head, but not in the heart. Their hearts are far from God. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 140, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Hear it. Not just like it, or agree with it, but loveth it. We love the truth, even when God has hard things to say about ourselves. We love it. We love the truth. We'll have nothing else but the truth. But there's something else. Fifthly, we cannot walk with God if there's not holiness in the life. Now hear what I'm saying. God does not walk with those who do not walk in holiness. This place as God cannot go, my friend. And you cannot expect God to go with you. We may grieve the Spirit, and God is not there. Remember what Moses said, except thou goest with us, we will not go. A true knowledge of God surely will want us, will move in our hearts such that we say, Lord, I want to be like thee. God does not walk with those who do not walk in holiness. I turn your attention just briefly to Isaiah 35. We know that that passage speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ. How he will come and as it were make the dry parched land. Speaking of his people who are parched and who are dead. And he who is that water poured out upon the earth brings life, abundant life to his people. And there again in pictorial form, in Isaiah 35, 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, the tongue of the dumb sing. In the wilderness shall the waters break out, and the streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes, and we notice, and an highway shall be there, a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. When God saves us, he puts us in a narrow way, doesn't he? It's called there the way of holiness. Now notice, the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, in other words, strangers, though fools, fools in the world's eyes, shall not err therein, no lion shall be there, and so on. Notice verse 10, and the ransom of the Lord shall return. They travel on this road, 
that they travel. It shall not be found there. There shall be no unclean thing there. There shall be no danger there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. A picture of heaven. You see, those on the way to heaven or on that narrow path, they've gone through the narrow gate, which is Christ. And they're in a narrow way. And the Lord cannot travel with his people in the path of sin, in the broad road that leads to destruction. But blessed be God, in that narrow way, there's fellowship with God. There's always fellowship with God. The closer you are to him, the more you will know him. First John 1 John 1.7, John says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. You see, you cannot really have fellowship with God if you're in fellowship with sin in the world. It says here, what does God require? That we walk humbly with him. You can't walk in pride, in sin, and be walking with him. Holiness is to have fellowship, is it not, with him? What does Paul say in Romans 8? He says, concerning us, his people, that they are led of the Spirit. The Spirit indwells. And we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, but we are debtors to God. And God must chasten his children if they are to walk with him. Remember how David, for so long after not having repented of his sin, how he groaned in his soul and how he felt that even his bones were so sore and he was aching. But there was a lack of the presence of God. The Lord had to return into that point. To know the joy of the Lord to be his strength. But he, he, he had to confess his sin. Whosoever confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall find mercy. And he leads his people, does he not, to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Charles Simeon, one of the Puritans, said, There is no real happiness but in fellowship with God. And there is no fellowship with him without conformity to him. You can't have fellowship with God, friends, without conformity to him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We have to have the Lord, don't we? And he will not walk and lead us in the wrong paths. But there must also be, sixthly, a willing submission to do God's will. You see, the Spirit of God does not force us, does not drive us. The Spirit of God will so lead his people. Now there are times where the Lord allows the sheep to go astray until it comes to its right mind. But God does not drive his people. He leads them. The Lord, by his Spirit, is the good shepherd that leads his sheep in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. To walk humbly with God, friend, means really that we have to have a willing submission to God. Thy will be done. David does it not say, Thy spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Well, we've got to know that. The people at this time, many of them were walking in such darkness. And even those who, who, who were born again, even those who were the Lord's, we know even Hezekiah certainly had his moments. And God's people will have their moments of darkness. But then they are restored again. He restoreth my soul. But you see, it is always by 
The Spirit of God speaking to our hearts. Just like the Lord corrected David. Thou art the man, David. Thou art not right, David. Thou hast sinned, David. We are to know the Lord's blessing. We have the ongoing repenting of our sins. And it's doing the will of God from the heart. Does Paul not say this in Ephesians 6.6? He says, doing the will of God from the heart. Not out of constraint, friends. But because you, you know and you see. That he is worthy of all of your love, your praise, your adoration and your worship. And that he is wise in all of his ways. And that we err, uh, we stumble when we go on in our own way. And in our own strength. Paul says in Romans 8.14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Those are the sons of God. Is your heart far from God this morning? Maybe anyone here. Maybe sin has been the barrier. And it will always be. We have to walk closely with God and humbly. The scriptures say, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. What does Job say to his friends? He says in Job 17, 9, The righteous shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall grow stronger and stronger. You cannot walk with God. You cannot be stronger if you're holding on to sin. The psalmist says, in his favor is life. As you walk with God, you know life. Something else, seventhly, the whole walk may be summed up in this way, to desire God. What's the whole purpose of your walk with God? To have him. You know, the most blessed things we can have in this life is God. Look around. What does this world have? Everything that it has is vanity. Solomon even said it, didn't he? Vanity of vanities. What profit a man after all his labor under the sun? We see these great millionaires. We see these wealthy people. What do they really have? Those things cannot satisfy the heart, the soul, the mind. But to have God, my friend, is something so infinite and something so wonderful. Just to know that we know him. And to know his presence in our hearts. There's nothing more blissful and delightful than that. Surely to know that God is with us. And that we can be left with nothing. But be so happy and blessed. To have God. But God, let me say this, cannot be known except by experience of a walk with him. You can know him in the Bible. Well, what about in your experience of life? You think of Job right at the end of his trial. I mean, we would say when we read the trial of Job throughout the book of Job, we could say, what a man. But what did he say at the end of his trial? He said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Job said that at the end of his trial, after all of his troubles. But now... Mine eye seeth thee. And while we see him, we see him more clearly at the end of each trial, don't we? At the end of each affliction, we say, God has been with me. Lord, I, I didn't see thee as I ought to then, but I see thee now much more clearly. And that should be our desire as we walk with him. We don't simply to walk with him to get knowledge but to experience him. 
And to thank him for all that he is to such worms as we, to such undeservings as we. I mean, you walk with your friends. God calls us friends who have sinned against him. How merciful he is. Isaiah 26, 8, the desire of our soul is to thy name. God's name is his character, my friends. You desire to know his character. The desire of our soul is to thy name. Not just the name Jehovah. But you think of all the wonderful names of God in the Bible. They set forth all that he is. Paul could say, oh, that I might know him. But don't you know him, Paul? I do. But not as I want. Not as I ought. Asaph, you know when he went into the house of God, everything was revealed to him. How he saw the wicked going astray. And then the Lord revealed to him the end of the wicked. And then at the end of that psalm, 73 verse 25, he said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. There should be a desire for God, friend, in the world. Not just knowledge. God, the very best of beings. The psalmist says, It is good for me to draw near to God. And to draw near to him in a walk in this life. Think of it. As we walk through the paths of darkness. And even as we go finally through the valley of the shadow. He is with us. And will never forsake his people. Yeah. Eighthly there must be devotion to him. In all of his ways. They love the Lord and they love his ways it could be said of Israel in Psalm 95 10 they have not known my ways because they weren't walking in the past but notice here we must round up quickly now verse 8 he hath showed thee O man what is good and what doth the Lord require thee but to do justly to love what is right my friend you see as you walk humbly with God you will want to do what God does You will want justice, you will want equity, you will want to not be conformed to this world, but you will want to be conformed to God. To do justly, to live a just life, to live uprightly, to have honest scales before men, to hate, the Bible tells us to hate certain things, to hate evil, to love what is good. See, To render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. But also to render to God what is God's. That's often forgotten. Render to both. Render to man every due that is due to man. But to render to give to God. Look at Caesar's coin. It had his image stamped on it. But friends, God has stamped his image on us. Has he not? We are made in his image. And we are to render our bodies our souls, our life to God. That's life. To be like him. The Jews, as I said, they paid tithes to the nth degree. But they neglected the weightier matters of the law. He said it in Matthew 23. Ye have omitted the weightier matters of the law. But he said, what are they? Judgment 
that we have here. To do what's right. Mercy and faith. You've neglected these things. The church. We need to be people of integrity. Any man that steps in this pulpit. Any man who ministers the word of God. We should expect. He has the right standards. A man who is not committed to a local church. Has no authority. And who has not enjoined himself. To a church has no right to exhort church members to be church members who is not a member himself. Who is a law to himself. Who lives how he wants. The standards of every minister are high. They are high. And we are to be examples to you. I pray for your elder. And those who minister in the pulpit here. The problem in the days of Micah. Jeroboam son of Nebat. He made every man a priest. Whoever wanted to be. The problem today is we have men who are not called to the ministry. Not called to preach. And they are bringing a disgrace on the church of the living God. Because they are not joined to a church. And they are lawless. But also notice thirdly to love mercy. When a man sins we heard just recently of a recent very well-known minister. I, I'm not in the business of naming ministers in the pulpit. A man who has said something very wrong. Concerning it is okay now for a Christian to attend a same-sex marriage or a transgender marriage. And to, to go to that wedding and to give a gift. I believe that is, is wrong. We pray that that man repents. And notice... To love mercy. If such a man repents. Don't we delight in mercy? If that man says I was wrong. I've erred. We love mercy. Why? Because we have been shown mercy. What does the Lord Jesus say? Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. A Christian must have a right spirit. They love to show kindness and goodness because they have received it. They realize what they deserve. God's wrath. But God delighteth in mercy. What do we read? Who is like unto thee, O Lord? God delights in mercy. We should. What did the Lord Jesus say? If thy brother sin against thee, go and tell him his fault. If you repent, forgive him. That's the spirit of a Christian. But you cannot. You cannot be reconciled to somebody. Who goes on in known sin. You cannot. And then try to walk with God. If that man is not walking with God. You cannot also walk with God. If you yourself turn a blind eye to sin. Never. Let me close with this. I said we'd close, come back to this. He requires that we walk humbly with him. See, this is what is required, isn't it? We can't be friends with the world and friends with sin and close to God. We have to love justice, do justice, and love mercy. And thus we walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with God, my friend, 
is to walk in humility. Notice, humbly with our God. It's the only right clothing for a Christian, isn't it? Humility. It's so easy when we're doing the right thing and we correct others and to sit in pride. We never do that. We must always be clothed with humility. And if you glory in anything, Jeremiah says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. May we too delight in that. And friend, lest we take any pride with the Corinthians, remember what the Lord said, who made thee to differ. Grace, God, may we walk humbly with him and may we bless each other along the way and may we all meet in Zion because of the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. Amen.